Hey, Clearview family, you know, technology's great. It's a last-minute decision. Talked with a lot of pastors around the community uh, in, on the last couple days, and the, as the storms have progressed, it just seems like this makes a lot more sense. Isn't it, isn't it great that now with technology, we can actually keep the church moving forward at times, even on a week-to-week basis when it was much harder to do so, uh, when I first started ministry, that is. So t- today, um, we're going to keep going in our, our Keys to Freedom uh, study, and man, I, I was really, really looking forward to to talking with you about this topic. I spent a lot of time this week thinking about this, and I, I learned some things that I really couldn't wait to share with you. So I'm, I'm actually super excited. And here's what I want you to do. You, you don't have anywhere to go. Uh, you're, you're Most likely you're watching this from home. Maybe you're driving down the road listening to it on a podcast. But I even if you have to hit pause, pause on the podcast or, or, or pause there at home, Get a pad, a piece of paper, and a pen. I'm telling you, I, I really do believe there's going to be some things out of the Word of God that you're, that you're going to want to know. So make sure you got something to write with because I, I, I think there's going to be some good things to, to put down and hopefully put down in your heart. Before we get into that, I, I want to share with you a really big victory, actually two big victories that God has done in our church in the last few weeks that... that it's just, I'm, I'm, I'm ne- I never get used to watching God's faithfulness. It, it never gets old, you know. And, and the first one is in, in the form of our, our impact missions offering, actually our Great Commission offering. Uh, here's what we gave. This year, we, let, me, let me show you a couple of figures. $76,352 was what you gave to our Great Commission offering. And that is far and beyond what we did last year. I'm telling you guys, we're going to use that in ways to honor God and reach people for Christ. And, and of that $76,000, $61,000 goes to our Impact Missions Fund. And what we do with our Impact Missions Fund is are things like help our missions partners. We fund missionaries and we fund mission projects. It, it goes to practical, tactical, tangible mission efforts right here through Clearview. And I, I mean, I just... On behalf of all of us on our staff, we are, we are so thankful for watching you partner with the Lord to, to do that in the missions world. Now, let me tell you something else that's happened in just in the past few weeks when it comes to how God's proven his faithfulness. You know, this, this past year, back in the early fall, we set, we, the, the finance committee fasted and prayed over it. Uh, I fasted and prayed over it. We, we did a lot of asking God, what do you want our budget to be? What do you, not, not what do we think we can do. What, what, not what we think we can do based on what we've done before. Hey, God, what is your number for our budget? It's your church. And we set the most aggressive budget Clearview has set, I think, in well more than a decade. And right now, we are more than $100,000 beyond that. I want to tell you something right now. If it wasn't for different camera angles, I'd get up and dance, but I'd get off camera. So I'm not going to do that. But, man, I'm just, I mean, praise the Lord for watching. I mean, it didn't need, let me tell you, when, when you do what God tells you to do, and, and I'm telling you, he honors that. He honors obedience. And so I'm, I'm super excited about that. So let's get into our Keys to Freedom study. And today we're going to get into Mark chapter 5. And, and in Mark chapter 5, we're going to talk about something that, in, in, in all transparency, 
I've taught on this topic before. I've ta- actually, this person. I've taught on this Bible character before. I don't know if uh, we're going to talk today about the, the woman who, who had an issue of, of bleeding. And uh, she, she had this for many, many years. And let me tell you why I, I chose to come back to this in this Keys uh, weekend on, on, on committing to Christ is because I, I know you've had this happen to you. Anything that you've taken the time to study before, whether it's gardening or maybe it's a sport like golf or tennis or pickleball or, or may, maybe it's an instrument, maybe you're a musician or, or cooking or whatever it is you love to do, over time you learn things. You kind of evolve in your knowledge of it. it you get deeper in it. And there. There's something that I've seen in this as I began to study and I began to pray about this weekend. This, this woman came to mind, and, and I believe there is something I've learned by watching her and reading her and, and, and looking at, at this fascinating story about what I'm going to call how spiritual freedom is built. We're, we're, we're moving into keys to freedom and, and what it means to, to literally live free. It says in Galatians 5 that it was for freedom that Christ set you free. You were built for freedom. Freedom is a part of your heritage. It's a part of your redemption. And so I, want, I think we can learn something about there's a pattern, I think. And, and I'm not going to call this an algorithm. I'm not going to call this some type of, it's certainly not some type of theological arithmetic where, you know, A plus B equals C, and it's like this perfect, perfect little secret that if you do this, you're always going to get that, you know, A plus B equals C. Don't take it like that. But what I do believe is there are some foundational principles right here that we can learn. And, and, and when we look at how spiritual freedom is built, let's first start by reading Mark chapter 5, okay? So um, here we go with, with uh, Jesus had been healing a, a young girl. And in, in, in Mark chapter 5, verse 25, it says, There was a woman who had a, a, a hemorrhage uh, for 12 years. She was, she was bleeding menstrually for 12 years. Can you imagine? And had endured much at the hands of many physicians. Yeah, I, I bet she had. And she had spent all that she had. She had spent all her money. I mean, not only was she embarrassed, not only was she an outcast, she was broke. She spent all that she had, and she was not helped at all. I mean, she was literally at the end of her rope. But rather, she had, it had grown worse, and she had grown worse. And in verse 27, it says, After hearing about Jesus, she came up in the crowd behind him, and she touched his cloak. She touched his prayer shawl. I'm going to refer to that in a minute. For she thought, if I could just touch his garments, or the hem, that is, of his garment, I will get well. Now, immediately when she did that, the flow of her blood was dried up, and she felt in her body that she was healed of her affliction. Immediately, Jesus, perceiving in himself that power proceeding from him had gone forth, he turned around in the crowd, and he said, who touched me? Now, this is where they get a little sarcastic with him in verse 31. His disciples said, you see the crowds pressing in on you, and you say, who touched me? Let me tell you what they're saying. They're saying, hey, Jesus, there are large, massive crowds around you, literally pressed in on all of us. Everybody's touching you, Jesus. I mean, why are you saying this? Of course, hundreds of people have touched you in the last five minutes. 
Because see, they believed in those days when, when healers, if you could just touch them, you'd be healed. But that's not why this woman was touching him. It was different. That's why he stopped. So in verse 32, he looked around to see the woman who had done this. But the woman, fearing and trembling, aware of what had happened to her, she, she came and she fell down before him and she told him the whole truth. Told him everything. Verse 34, and he said to her daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace and be healed of your affliction. Now, we're going to stop right there because the story goes on. But, but I, I want to... I want to walk you through this. I've got an iPad up here because uh, it, it's a little harder to uh, just straight on preach just like I would on Sunday. And so you're going to see me referring to this at, at times. And so I'm going to start with t- to show you a little bit of kind of this, this rhythm that I, I, I saw in this passage as I was putting this together. And this is kind of the rhythm that I see about how freedom is encountered. We're talking about the first key in freedom is, is committing to Christ. And you have to go all in, but there's no middle ground on that. And so there's a, there's, there's a little bit of a, of, a, of a sequence of steps that I see this woman took that I believe deals with us. In fact, I believe this, this deals with a lot of us at Clearview. I think there's a lot to be learned about how we can experience the freedom of Christ if you'll look into these steps. So here's the sequence. I think it starts with emptying, right? I think I kind of drew this out for you. It starts with emptying, and emptying leads to choosing, and choosing leads to deliverance. And that's kind of the pattern that this woman took. She emptied herself. She chose to to grab onto the authority of Christ and that's when deliverance came, right? That's when the de- deliverance came. So, so I, I kind of took a, a little bit of liberty here. This is certainly not in Mark chapter 5, but, but I'm going to treat this much like you would from building a house, okay? So let's look at this image. Uh, th- this image here, uh, see this image about the foundation of emptying? Now you see, just, you see right there just a, a foundation of a home. If you've ever seen a home that's being built, you see a foundation, and, and we're going to start looking at this foundation of what I'm calling the foundation of, of, emptying, of, of emptying. Freedom in Christ is, is yours to have, but, but there is no middle ground, like I said. You can have the keys to freedom, and Jesus is the, the freedom giver. But, but you have to understand, this woman teaches us something, that there is no such thing as a hybrid form of your power and Christ's power. There is no such thing as a, as a concoction of your strength and Jesus' strength. You, you have no biblical or no biblical power, I should say. You, you have no biblical power or no biblical authority to treat Christ or his authority like some spiritual buffet. Like I can just take parts and choose which parts I like and ignore the parts that, that I don't. Because I want to tell you, if there's anything this woman teaches us, it is, it is that God will not grant you freedom until you have fully surrendered. God, God will not grant you authority until you've emptied yourself of your authority. You don't get to have his authority and you don't get to have his freedom until you've emptied yourself on the foundation of complete surrender to who Christ is. And, and it it made me think of, of something of, that, that we see early, early, early. In fact, right out of the gate in the Bible. Uh, it, when you look at the fall of Adam and Eve, there's something really interesting that happened there. And, and I, I want to tell you why this applies to this issue of finding freedom in Christ. About emptying ourselves. That we can't just 
pick and choose which parts of our life we want freedom and hold on to others. In Genesis chapter 2, when the first man and the first woman sinned against God, look at what it said. God said to them, From any tree of the garden you may eat freely, but from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat. For in the day that you eat from it you will surely die. So now, so now what did God say? God said you have free reign to pick from any of this. But there's one place you cannot go. You cannot choose to take your own authority to, to know good from evil. Because what happens right there, that is lost innocence. That is a power grab. See, that's what the, that's what the enemy tempted Adam and Eve with. Well, you're not surely going to die. I mean, if you eat from that tree, then you'll be like God. You see, the, the idea that happened right there, what, where sin started, sin didn't start from some really bad choice of some moral failure. Sin started from selfishness. Sin, sin's origin was in wanting to be your own boss. That, that was the bottom line. You can look at the, remember we talked in Keys to Freedom about the, the leaf of the tree? Those are behaviors. But, but the leaf is always a product of the root system. Well, the root of sin is, is that you and I wanted to be our own boss. And that's why God said, don't eat from that tree. You don't have the right to eat from that tree. Don't do it. Do you know why a lot of people never experience freedom in Christ? Do you know why a lot of people aren't experiencing the spirit life, the life of the Holy Spirit? It's because of self-governance. It's because, it, I want you to imagine that your, your life was like a house and that you had given God permission to go through any room except one. And that, that one had a padlock on it. That, that could be a dating relationship. It might be your money. You might have your career as off limits to God. Oh, you would never say that to him. You would never say, oh God, you can't touch my career. But, but your actions prove that you really don't care what God says. Maybe, maybe there's a habit in your life where, where you would never say, oh God, God doesn't have, I, I would never let God have access to that part of my life. You would never say that, but your actions show it. The, the reason that that we do not experience spiritual freedom is because we try to hybridize half Christ, half us. And that's, that, that's, that's a halfway road to nothing. So let's move back now. As we talked about, the reason I brought up the garden of good and evil is because it's foundational to understanding that self-governance gets us in a problem to where we have to empty ourselves and repent and come back. And so when you look at the woman who had the, the issue of bleeding, she latched on to Jesus. And in order to do that, she had to free herself of herself. So let's, let's kind of move into what was it that she latched on to? I want you to think for just a second about what she actually did. She reached out and touched Jesus in a place of his authority, and that mattered. So I want to show you something here. This is an actual uh, Jewish prayer shawl. And uh, let me put it on here. So Jesus would have wore a prayer shawl. Um, but on these prayer shawls, they would often have 
uh, the the tizit or the it depends on how you pronounce it. A little, some people do it differently, but a talit here um, is most a lot of Jewish men would have worn these. But but rabbis they had different colors, and and when they wore when they wore this talit, um, it did something. It it was to remind the Jew of whose they were. It was symbolic of their identity as the people of holy God. So it, it was constantly to remind them that God owned them and that God was their identity giver. So when this woman came up behind Jesus and grabbed on to his priestly garment, she would have grabbed him most likely in this area of this tassel. Um, I'll, I'll never forget the first time I was deeply introduced. I'd heard this story, read it before, but the first time I was really introduced to the d- deeper parts of this story, uh, a really good friend of mine was telling me a story by a time he was preaching this at a conference, a prayer conference. It was named Don Pearson. And Don said, I was, I was preaching on this passage to a small group of people, you know, less than 100 folks. And they were all kind of up close to him. And he said, when I was reading this, a lady on the front row about had a fit. I mean, she had to come apart, not crying. Just she was so bewildered that I stopped. And he said, you know, he began talking to her. She was a Messianic Jew. She had come to Christ out of Judaism. And she said, that woman grabbed him in the place of authority. And it revolutionized our thinking about, Don said, I I never realized she could have touched him anywhere, but she chose to grab onto his authority. See, this was a symbol of priestly authority. And so she grabbed onto that. And because she grabbed onto it, let me tell you why Jesus stopped. He stopped because when she touched him, it was a touch of belief. She grabbed onto him and he felt it. it what it told Jesus was she believes. It was, a, it was a silent scream in the middle of a loud crowd. It was the only scream in that crowd that Jesus heard because she was screaming from a place of full-on belief that was built upon surrender, right? It was built upon surrender. There's a, there's a great quote that I find myself reading many times a year, and I've read it maybe for more than a decade. It's one of the most powerful statements I've ever understood about this process of emptying. And it's, it's from Charles Spurgeon. And this is what he said, God will not go forth with that man who marches in his own strength. Those who serve God must serve him in his own way and in his own strength, or he will never accept their service. That which man does unaided by divine strength, God can never own. God will empty out all that you have before he will put his own into you. The river of God is full of water, but not one of it comes from earthly springs. Now, once you've walked through this foundation of emptying, there's another step we can learn from this woman. 
And that's what I'm going to call the frame of decision. Now, granted, this is just a picture we're running through this, right? So the first was the foundation. The second part of a home is the frame of decision. Now, if you, you know as well as I do, if you've ever been driving through a neighborhood and see a house being built, you're going to see a foundation, and then you're going to see a frame put up. And in that frame, you're going to begin to see what they call a rough end, you know, the, the electrical wiring and the plumbing and all those things. But you're going to see a whole lot of studs and two-by-fours. And this frame of decision was her next step. First thing she had to do was empty herself. And I'm going to tell you a little bit more about how that works in a second how she had to break free from some things. But after she began to break free, she had to make a decision of what she was going to do. Once she emptied herself to a place of submission, she, she, she was then start freeing to start, or she was free to start in, in, engaging God in his power. She had already decided she wanted to empty herself to gain Christ. Now she had a few areas where she had to break free from some bondage. She already made the decision she was going to empty herself. Now she had some decisions to make. So I'm going to talk to you about what this woman can teach us. And this is really important, friend. I'm telling you, so many people want to act like they have their lives all together. This woman shows us what happens when you get really honest with God. When the, when the pretty makeup goes away and the beautiful clothes and the jewelry and the accessories and the great car, the great truck and the nice job and the good house, when all of that is stripped down and you start getting honest with God about areas in your life that have bondage. And I'm not talking about some addiction. I'm talking things like gossip. I'm talking about things like pride. I'm talking about hard-heartedness from a relationship 10 years ago or some broken relationship between you and your 50-year-old sister. I'm talking about areas where we're holding on to things. When you start, when you start stripping all that away and, and breaking free, you're going to experience the, the power of holy God on your life. So let's look at what this woman broke free from, okay, in these decision-making moments. And the first place I think we can learn, the first foundation of that is that God wants me to break free from religious bondage, all right? God wants me to break free from religious bondage. You, you have to understand, this is really powerful, what this woman can teach us. You have to understand that, that Jewish law had all kinds of restraints on this woman. See, with her issue in, in, in having a, a menstrual bleeding issue, she was not allowed to go to temple. In fact, she wasn't allowed to get around people. There were so many religious rules around her that she was cast down, beat down, ostracized, condescended. I mean, she was a true outcast. She could not go to temple. I mean, clear view, she couldn't walk in any of these doors. They would have known her. They knew about her. Doctors knew about her. I mean, this was no community secret. And yet, if she had walked into the doors of our church, they said, uh, no, you're not allowed here, right? So she couldn't go to temple. So she know, you know what she did? She went to the temple builder. She went straight to the, to the architect of freedom. God wants you to break free from religious bondage. There are, there are so many rules and stipulations that, that some of you grew up with. There's a, a lot of 
restrictions that were placed on us that Jesus even said uh, that, that often talking to the Pharisees that, that, they, that they tie up heavy burdens on, on, on people's sh- shoulders and, and then they don't lift one finger to help them find freedom. I mean, think, think if you even grew up in any way, even in church, right? I mean, how many times, you know, did you see if you, you know, I, I remember being, being a, a student when I first came to Christ in high school and, you know, you, you were told to enjoy the Lord, but you certainly couldn't act happy in church because you'd get in trouble. If you, if, you know, the last thing, even my church was experiencing a revival when I came to Christ. Literally, when I got saved, we were experiencing a revival. But I can tell you, it was just understood. If anybody had got up and danced down the aisle, they'd have been thrown out, buddy. I mean, it was, it, there were just religious bondage placed on people. And this woman had to break through all that. She, she wasn't allowed to go. So to her, for her to grab on to a rabbi, I mean, it was beyond controversial. It, was, it would have been seen in their eyes as sacrilegious. It would have been seen in their eyes as, as anything, nothing, nothing short of total hypocrisy, irreverence, sin, you're going to have to overcome some religious bondage from, that many of you grew up with if you want to experience the authority of Christ. I think there's another thing this woman can teach us, or another true principle here, and it is this, that God wants me to break free from cultural bondage too. See, Jewish culture said she couldn't go out in public. There was the religious law, and then there was religious culture. And so what she had to do was that she, she had to break free from all that. She had to do something that took a lot of guts, and here it is. She had to risk her image. Think about that. She had to risk her image. Her, she had to be willing to, to break out and be free. She had to risk her image to get his image. And that's what this woman has taught me, that if you want the power of God on you, you got to strip yourself of wanting to be admired. you got to strip yourself of worrying about what other people think about your walk with God. you gotta, you got to free yourself from caring about what other church members think about your beliefs and who God is and what he's willing to do. Listen, you, you will not experience the keys to freedom until you're willing to risk your own image and go all in with Christ. You, I wrote it down this way. You will not experience his strength and, until you're stripped of your status, until you empty yourself of your status and, and, and get honest with God and decide that you want his power more than you want their approval. And I, I'll tell you how this has come true in my life. Uh, it, this, this story... This story means a lot to me personally as a Christian, to be honest. And, and, I'll, and I'll tell you why. And, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be as transparent as I know how to be about this um, when it comes to the power of the Holy Spirit. I, I grew up in an era of Christian life, especially as a young minister, where you, you were certainly allowed to believe in the Holy Spirit, and you would have been called a heretic if you, if you didn't believe in the Holy Spirit. You could believe in the Holy Spirit. You just couldn't exercise the gifts of the Spirit. So, now, that, that makes that, isn't that kind of corny? 
In fact, I think it's kind of hypocritical that to say that you believe in something, but don't put it into action, well, wouldn't you call that hypocrisy? Because what you do always trumps what you say. You, you can tell me anything, but I'll know it by what you do. And I spent many years, I'm not kidding, I spent probably the first 15 years of my ministry journey, honestly worried about what other ministers would think about me if they knew that I believed in the full power of the Holy Spirit, meaning that I believed in gifts of the Spirit. I believed in prophecy. Let me tell you, there's a lot of Baptist churches that won't hire you if you say that. I'm not kidding. There's not, not just Baptist churches. There's a lot of mainline churches that won't hire you for that. I, I believed in a prayer language and the power of tongues. I, de- I, I did and I do. I, I've never had that happen to me, but it's in the word of God. I mean, there's no denying it. And I believed in it. God's never given me the gift of tongues, but I cannot look you in the eye and tell you it's not there because it is. But I couldn't say that. I believed in healings. I did, and I do. That's a little more safe. You know why? Because it deals with sickness, and everybody gets sick. So people like that gift. They just don't like other ones because they seem weird. I believed in visions. You know why I believed in visions? Because the Bible talked about visions. Today, not just 5,000 years ago, but you couldn't say that in an open conference at a, at a, at a you know, Baptist preacher's conference because you do that and, and you're going to get in trouble or you're going you're gonna to get put on the radar. On the, you're going to get put on the, the list. Believe me, and those things exist. And so I, I really, I was kind of conflicted until one day, and, and I can't take you back to the day. I just can, I can tell you there was a turning point in my own personal Christian journey where I realized that All the people that were putting restrictions on my walk with God, it was funny. All the people that were telling me that I wasn't allowed to have a Holy Spirit, full Holy Spirit experience were the same people that had never had it happen to them either. And I just quit caring. I just quit caring. I quit caring about what other human beings thought about my walk with God. And I talk about the Holy Spirit a lot. You know why? Yeah, I'll tell you why. Because it's Christ. I don't understand why that's such a big deal. I don't understand why normal Christianity, the book of Acts, I don't understand why that's so controversial. I, 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 think, I think it's sad. It's beyond disappointing. I, I think it is the act of the devil in the church to, to want to make us doubt the very power source that was there to give us life. The Holy Spirit is Christ in me. Why in the world would I be afraid of that? And the reason that we are afraid of it is because we've seen it abused. Well, you know what? I've seen a bunch of bad car salesmen, but I still buy cars. There's a lot of phenomenal car salesmen out there. I've seen a bunch of bad politicians, but I've seen a bunch of good ones too. I still vote. So I'm not going to let the actions of a few tarnish what God wants from me. And so I'm just telling you that 
if you want to receive God in all of his power, you're going to have to be willing to break free in that frame of decision. Empty yourself and then empty into deciding that you're going to follow God. And so when this woman grabbed on to Jesus, she made a decision, man. She grabbed his authority, and she said, I don't care what anybody says. I'm walking right. I mean, she had to walk through people who she wasn't allowed to touch. She busted through people, pushed through people, and with all of the faith in her mind knowing, I can touch that man and I will be healed because he is the son of God. And she threw out her image and her reputation and she no longer cared. And guess what happened? Deliverance came. And that's the third component. You've got the foundation of emptying, the frames of decision, and then you've got what I'm gonna call the walls of deliverance. That's when the house is built, friend. When, when, when you begin to experience the full truth of who God is, you're gonna be delivered. And that's what this happened to this woman. She came into a place of full-on deliverance. She broke free by submitting, and when she submitted and emptied herself, she chose to, to follow, and that's when the power came. That's when you can put up the frame, man. I mean, the frame goes up, the walls come in, and you got a full-stocked, ready-to-go home to live in, right? And I, and I realize that that's just a, a word picture that we're using today. But when you put up those walls of deliverance, meaning, let me tell you what I mean by that. When you say, what does he mean by walls of deliverance? What I mean, that's, that's not a Bible term. That's a Jason term, okay? That's just a Jason term. And, and, and what I mean by that is that once you frame your life up with deciding to go all in for Christ, when you experience the deliverance of God on your life, you are insulated from the opinions of people. I mean, in fact, the only power and the only influence anymore that, that is on your life is the power you give away. Before, you know, this woman was living in the bondage of human opinion. When she decided to go after God's opinion, the only opinion that could affect her was, uh, by people was the, the power she chose to give them. I mean, she broke free from all that. So once, once you've been conquered by God, Tozier said it this way, once you have been conquered by God, you're unconquerable by humans. And that's when freedom can overtake the lies. That's when authority of Christ can overtake what you see in the authority of culture. I'm telling you, emptying leads to choosing and choosing leads to deliverance. So as you go into keys to freedom in the next few days, my hope and true prayer for you. And our staff is praying this for you right now. I'm telling you, our staff is praying for you that you dive headfirst into the life of the Spirit, that you experience all the freedom. And you know what? Go, just, just to make sure you're clear, when I chose to, to become unshackled by what other ministers thought about me and my biblical beliefs of the Holy Spirit, asking God, give me any gift you want to give me. To this day, nothing strange has happened other than I'm just free to walk and believe and trust God for the supernatural in my life, in my marriage, in my money, in my decisions, in my parenting. And I'm telling you, it feels good. You know, Jesus said something. He said, come to me, all you who are weary and carry heavy burdens, and I'll give you rest. That's what you see in this woman, and I hope you see it in yourself soon. 
You know, you often don't think about sharing something with somebody like a tweet or an email or sending them a sermon or sending them a podcast. You don't often think of that as missions, but it is. It's not that you have to send it to the whole world or post every single thing we do at Clearview on your feed. But if if you've heard a sermon or if you've listened to a podcast, think through your life. I mean, God, who needs to hear this? Sometimes it, it, it doesn't need to go on your Facebook page. Sometimes it needs to go on your Twitter. But sometimes just a simple text to one person can make all the difference in the world. Is sending them the Word of God in real time. Share it. You'd be surprised how far it goes.